0: Hey, this is Zen Perry. Thanks for listening to the Zen Perry Project. I have a few requests of you before we get into the show. First is go to Zen Perry Project, Z-E-N-P-E-R-R-Y Project on Instagram. Give us a follow. Second is make sure you follow and turn on notifications for our episodes wherever you listen to the Zen Perry Project. And third is share the show with somebody. Maybe send them an episode they'd be interested in. Without further ado, here's the show. Thanks for listening. Would you like to hear Breaking North ad free? Become a patron today for bonus interviews, giveaways, and much more. Support spreading the word of your favorite creators. Head over to patreon.com breakingnorth breaking north. Hello everybody. This is Zen. You're listening to Breaking North. Today on the show we have Timbo from Kino at Timbo from Kino on Instagram, TikTok, all those great places. I think he's on YouTube, all that shit. You can find him at timbaltez.com as well. He's an insane drummer. He's hilarious. He's an amazing uh, recording artist. He's worked with a ton of different companies and uh, for musicians, I'm sure, all over the place. We got pretty in deep talking about drums, vintage drums, recording techniques for um, all sorts of different scenarios, uh, we talked about a little uh, drum controversy in the in the very small drumming world. If you're interested in music at all, this is definitely a, a great episode for you. Me and me and my friends just got back from New York. We recorded a bunch of uh, podcast episodes with some New Yorkers out there. Had a really really good time. It's kind of what I want to do with the show. Just want to travel, take it around, meet cool people, artists, creators, chefs you name it, and uh, see their world. So that's exactly what we did. That was our first real trip. We were out there for a week, which is kind of a long time. And we got super lucky because right, pretty much the day or two after, uh, cases started, of COVID started really spiking there. Luckily, my friends and I got the booster about a week before, so we dodged that bullet. We got all tested and everything. Very, Very happy for my health. And the people around me that stick with me and, uh, you know, you, you listeners, if you feel like supporting the show and helping us do some cool stuff and, and, uh, hopefully helping you all, out uh, with some information, some good knowledge from some good people, uh, you can support the show by going to breaking North. No, <laughs> you can support the show by going to patreon.com slash breaking North as patreon.com slash breaking North. My name is Zen. You're listening to Breaking North. Here's the show. Tim Baltz is a professional drummer based in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Your followers may know him as Grandma Timbo. In addition to his funny-as-hell Instagram, where he has amassed more than 32,000 followers, posting drumming videos, he remotely records his unique drum sound for clients such as Disney, 21st Century Fox, Warner Canada, and many more. Tim also produces a collection of drumless tracks to practice and record along to. You can download those from a link in his Instagram. Tim, thanks for being on the show. I'm super excited about this.
1: Man, thank you so much for having me. It was almost like uh, serendipitous that this happened, right?
0: Yeah, that was, it was very interesting. I texted my buddy the night before. I was like, we need to get Tim Baltz on the show. And then you messaged me the next morning. <laughs> and so weird. I, I hit up my friend and I was like, did you message him? Is that, he's like, no, I, I definitely didn't. Um, so yeah, I don't know how that happened. It was very odd to me. Sometimes it
1: works, you know. I, I love that like uh I love the aesthetic that we have going on here. Like normally if, if this was five years ago, I'd probably be wearing the suit and tie too, but I feel like I feel like we're two we're we're two pretty uh eclectic dudes here. We got the tie-dye and the overalls and the suit and tie over on this end. Like, what is going on, man? I love it.
0: I I am dressed up as Bunny Carlos from Cheap Trick. Uh, i was like oh, is he going to wear a costume i would feel bad if i just wore just my my regular black clothing um yeah i'm doing a cover band tonight for for halloween it's yeah. uh it's it's funny you're doing it as bun um he
1: he's from rockford illinois which is about a couple hours from me and uh bun comes to the chicago drum show every year he's a he's a staple of the show oh, and okay. he has a booth with this guy named randy rainwater so I remember, you know, I, I'd have a run in with Bun every once in a while. Like there's this uh, particular bass drum size that Ludwig made for a few years that was a 22 diameter by a 12 inch depth. It's called uh, the New Yorker. And it's it's kind of rare. It has a really unique sound. And I remember I was I bought one and I was walking out to my car and, and Bun stops me. and He's like, is that a New Yorker? And I was like, yeah, it's like my second one. I love him and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, I love those two. I just bought three, you know. And uh, it, was, it was really cool. And then I think the year or two after, uh, Randy Rainwater invited me out to his, he has a party for like all the, you know, the super drum nerds out at his house at Rockford. So I get out to this party and I'm pulling into the super long driveway, uh, trying to figure out where I'm going to park. And there's Bun. And he's like the, the dude on the tarmac at the airport, like, all right, bring the car in here. So one of my favorite stories is is just simply saying that Bunny Carlos helped me park my car one time.
0: Oh, that that's the best. <laughs> uh, is, he, is he generally like, a, well, he seems like a super nice dude. I love that he's still going to drum shows and doing the works. Uh, he's super, super kind and just like
1: a, a, a ball of knowledge, man. That guy is uh, super fun to talk to about that nerdy stuff
0: like that. Yeah, and learning these songs for Cheap Trick, which I never got super super into. I, I always appreciated them. I saw them with Aerosmith uh wow, like 10 years ago. Jesus. Um and yeah, his his stuff is incredible. His sound is incredible. He's always just like on it and he's he, I think he's like the definition for pop rock for back in the uh,
1: 70s. 100%. I mean, you know, y- you can point to drummers like uh I don't know you know some of these more technically minded drummers mm-hmm. but you know i put bun right up there with you know ringo and charlie watts where it's like you know these are drummers where you know they they can play you know just like yeah. jim keltner jim keltner's another guy where it's like they can play technically but what i love about bun is that he puts musicianship before
0: being a drummer yeah absolutely um, and those songs are weird. I, they, of course they, it's real. I was not expecting. It. They have like no set structure there. There's like a verse, a pre-chorus into another, another like bridge. And then, which I did listening to that would just make so much sense. It's like, it's pop rock. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just like kind of go through with some of those like big eyes. It's the second song we're doing. Uh, that's a weird, weird structured song. I was. Uh, I was just
1: surprised by it. Yeah, I think it's. You know, I think part of it is like that kind of, you know, people kind of viewed them as a punk band, and I think that's kind of what like Rick Nielsen kind of brought more than anyone else was like, it's going to be rock and roll, but it's going to be rock and roll my way. Um, right. I rem- you know, again because they're a local band, it's 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 uh, something I really really love to to look at and and to study. So like, Rick had uh, a bunch of. Uh, his guitars, and just his stuff, like a a whole car on display at uh, the Burpee Museum. I think it was in Rockford, or right around Rockford, and just going in there and seeing the stuff he used, you know, you can kind of, and the stuff he kept, you know, concert posters, and even the stubs from the shows he played, and different notes, you really, you know, I got a better feel for just how unique a dude this was, and, you know, how he just had his own, uh, just, just in the same way that he has his own, uh, you know, way of playing music. He has his own way of walking life. So it's it, that was a really fun exhibit to go to. And I think that's why, you know, looking at that stuff, you totally get the feel for it. This is why that music is just so weird. So punk rock, yeah. you know, in the way they crafted it. Wow, that's, that's awesome.
0: Um, going back to the New Yorker, that, that, uh, that style kit, um, is that, so there's the Yamaha, the, the the hip kit. Is that like the same size? Is, is that the 22 by 14 or 12? I think the Yamaha
1: one is even shorter because like, mm. you know, there's so many trends right now to make a, like a travel kit or an easy gig kit, mm. which is, you know, like you think of uh, the original one really was that Ludwig Breakbeats kit as yeah. far as this new generation is concerned. And now everybody's trying to figure out what that was. But in the 60s, people had the same problems that we had today. You know, you're trying to fit a giant set of drums on an itty bitty stage. And so what they did is they made a bass drum that was tall, but short. And Mm -hmm. they, uh, they made this Tom smaller. Instead of having a 13 inch Tom, they had a 12, but they still had the nice big floor Tom and a regular size snare, but it was just small enough that you could scooch it into a heck of a lot more venues. So kind kind of an interesting tidbit of history.
0: Yeah, I think everything in general is getting smaller with, with kids. I mean, obviously the same problems that they're having, but you know, having a drummer around people are like, uh, oh, we got a drummer today on the in the venue, we gotta figure this out. Where are they gonna go? Um Yeah, absolutely. So I consider you the Kenosha am I saying that right? I, I hear people how do you say it? How do you say Kenosha? Yeah, yeah that's it, Kenosha. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I okay. consider you the ambassador for Kenosha. Um, so I just wanted to ask you a couple questions about that. Um, favorite, favorite restaurants to go to. Okay.
1: Uh, you gotta, you gotta hit the brat stop out by the interstate. Um, cheap trick played there. Sticks played there. Plenty of bands played there back in the day. The last time I sat down there, like Michelangelo Badio was in there who I've met a few times. Super nice guy. He's the guy, if you've ever seen a video of a guy playing a guitar that has four necks, that's the dude. Uh he was the world's fastest guitar player for for a long time and he's always been one of the nicest guitar players I've ever talked to. Um but the fish the fish there is awesome if you catch it on a Friday night. Uh the walleye. That's my jam. Yeah. Very very good. Um other places to hit if you can't hit a restaurant but you got to get that Wisconsin food, the cheese castle. Look up the Mars Cheese Castle. Get your cheeses, get your meats, you get your baked goods and you're good to go. You can hop right back on the eye and get to milwaukee or chicago those are those are the two spots if you just have a second to get in and out of town that's where you got to go and
0: yeah the spot or big star driving
1: wow now that's something only locals talk about and it's it's really funny you bring that up because now i'm my mom's side of the family is from the south side which is that spot territory and then my dad is he he grew up two blocks north of Big Star, way on the north side of town. There's this big rivalry. Both of these restaurants are drive-ins, right? So it's like 1950. You pull your car in, you turn your lights on when you want service, and they put your freaking food right on your window for you to eat with your friends and family. It's it's like bizarre, amazing. Um, So uh, my partner and I had gone to Big Star just because despite... Me being on the South side, I'm a big star guy. And I keep meaning to hit the spot uh, with them. But uh, it just never happened until maybe a month and a half, two months ago. And so we get there. And I'm just like, listen, we're just going to try it just to say we tried it. And then we can go back to big star. And I'm so glad that was what I said, because it took us 50 to 60 minutes to get our food. And the food was fine but it just cemented every belief I had that big star is the only drive-in restaurant you want to go to. And it's called big star, like the band, you know, come on, like, this is the only way to go. There was a, there was a time when uh, this was years ago on Instagram. I put like, um, I was like, all right, if someone PayPal's me a hundred bucks, I will buy a bunch of cheeseburgers from big star. And I'm going to put them all over my drum set and just play my drums with the burgers on there. And some some very nice guy in England, in England he took, the, he took the bet. I don't even know if he's had a cheeseburger before. I don't know if they have those over there. So I go and I, or I call Big Star and I was like, listen, I know this is really weird. I need $100 in hamburgers and cheeseburgers right now. And they were like, all right, we'll figure it out. And I just got bags and bags of burgers. I put them all over the set. There's videos on YouTube of it so that's out there that's so it's just to say that a hundred dollars buys you a heck of a lot of burgers here in wisconsin Uh, you're a big
0: star guy that's that's good to know
1: yeah oh yeah all
0: right weirdest thing you've ever had on a stick at the taste of wisconsin festival
1: that's an interesting question too i've only been to taste a few times it's like one of those events that's like uh it just it in my opinion, it gets a little bland. You know, it's like the touristy thing. Yeah. So so like if I want food on a stick, I'm gonna make it myself. I don't I don't even know what I'd put on a stick. Probably a s'more. That's the only thing you're gonna find on a stick from me.
0: Yeah. More of a more of a burger guy. Yeah, okay. That, that makes sense.
1: <laughs> I want I want my burgers in a bun. I'll take my hot dogs mostly in a bun. I do like a good corn dog though. Oh, There's yeah. uh I'm four hours from Springfield which is home of the, I think they call it the Coney dog, but it's the original corn dog. And that's
0: like a solid, solid doggy, solid doggy. All right, last question about, uh, about the Kenosha. Um, so back in 1874, they developed the jockstrap. Do you believe that was in Chicago or Kenosha?
1: I mean, I would. I would is, is it from Jockey? Is that where it's from? I
0: think so. It, I it mean, that it, would make sense.
1: We, uh, it's a strange town. We made mattresses down by the lake and the mattress factory would just throw their fricking springs right in the lake. So we had just piles of crap in the lake for a while. We built cars here for a while. AMC. If you've ever seen, uh, you know, like the Pacer or the Gremlin, the Pacers, the car from Wayne's world, the Gremlin is one of the most famous, terrible cars you've ever seen, you know, and, uh, that's all Kenosha, baby, uh, all here, all here, LeBlanc like clarinets and stuff kenosha wisconsin who would have thought so jockstrap no doubt in my mind right here in kenosha and some goofy guy's basement that's where that happened yeah they really had
0: to think about that one <laughs> <laughs> um, so you start playing drums at 15 is that right yep yep and uh why why drums because you were playing other instruments I don't know you.
1: You are the most researched podcast host I've ever been on with here. Next really? thing I know, you're, you're gonna yeah, you're gonna be saying yeah. I talk, I talked to your mom and she said you really liked that chili last week, but not nah, you know. I start so I started playing uh, piano at eight, uh, bass at twelve, uh, got a guitar shortly thereafter about thirteen, and you know really all these instrument changes came as a result of necessity. I talked about this in a recent podcast that isn't out yet, but basically to sum it up, it's like I started piano because that was a fun thing to do. Wanted to play drums in fifth grade at age 10. But you, know, you go into band and they give you a practice band and a xylophone. I don't want that crap. Give me you know. the drum set. Yeah. So I keep going on with the piano. And then me and my friends want to start a band at 12. So, you know, one kid brings his drum set. Another kid brings his guitar. Another kid comes to sing with a little P.A., and I show up with a keyboard and they're like, you can't play this in a freaking punk band. That's not how this works. Yeah. So, so they said, go get a bass. So I begged my mom. I said, mom, I just want a bass. I want to play in a band. I want to be cool. So sure enough, she goes out and buys me a little bass. I started playing bass. Continue with that guitar till I'm 15. 15 comes along. I'm playing with a bunch of guys. And they're like, Tim, we can find another bass player. You don't have to do this. We need a drummer. You can kind of play a beat. You figure it out. So I got a guy in Homeroom, Tony Ambrosini. God bless Tony Ambrosini. He sold me a wine red CB drum set for $10. And, you know, it was one of those things where it's like I sat down on those drums and it felt like, uh, you know, like a release, you know, a sigh, a wonderful sigh of relief where it's just like, man, this is like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So, I'm 32 and uh oh gosh, a week and a half and I've been playing drums for
0: over a decade and a half now. 17 years it'll be. Yeah. That's a long time. So it just it just felt right. What what do you mean by it just felt right on the kit?
1: You know, it's like
0: uh
1: It's like when you test out any person could relate to this. It's like when you go to the car lot and you test drive like five cars and then you finally get to the sixth and it's just like, Ooh, all right. My butt feels good here. <laughs> ooh. All right. Like this feels comfy. And then you hit the gas and you're like, Whoa, all right. Yeah. This is the car. This is right. You know, it was just like that. That
0: was the most Midwest thing I could think of as, as an answer. <laughs> totally dude. Going to the car a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you were in a, you were in a bunch of bands. What was the name of your first band? Francophone uh which means yeah it means
1: a a person who speaks french okay now we thought it was punk we 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 dubbed ourselves uh we dug we gave ourselves our own genre we called it uh post-punk jazz rock Mm. i was like uh you know me and my two best friends at the time and then one of them's older brother so you know we were just trying to figure out what the heck we were doing on our instruments And then this kid who's two years older than us, the older brother, Dave, they would be like, all right. All right. But I'll play this, play this. All right. Now we'll do. All right. Now we'll play the song. There's the song. And and then he'd say, all right, now we're going to jam. He's telling 12, 13 year old kids, figure it out. Make sure it sounds good. And it it was uh, and we did that live. We would play a song, play a jam, play a song, play a jam, play a song, play a jam, play a song. And 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 different people would start. The jam, so I would have to come up with the bassline on the spot. The drummer would have to come up with a drum thing on the spot, the guitar player or the singer who would do some trombone too. It was like, in my opinion, that was some of the best training I ever had to prepare me for what I do now, whether it's uh, musical improvisation or in a recording setting where I might hear a song one time all the way through. And then I have to track it to, you know, to try and make a little money and less than, you know, you know, some some people take half a day to track a song. I want to get that sucker done in an hour, an hour and a half. And having that skill set allows me to do that. So it works in a musical context. But those skills also translate elsewhere too. like the comedic stuff I do, whether it's the grandma Timbo karaoke or I just posted a, the first round of new food reviews I posted in, I think, six plus months today. So you know, in those, in both of these settings, it really helps. Even even in a business setting, if I was wearing the Bunny Carlo suit, tie, and going to an office every day, understanding social uh, social interactions, understanding you know rhythm in regards to those social interactions, and how I can then use that to my advantage to get what I want for myself or the project I'm working on to propel it a certain way. Like it's amazing just how much that little thing improvising on bass guitar as a little 12 year old punk rock kid has carried me throughout the next, you know, 20 years of my life.
0: Yeah. So a couple of questions going off of that. Uh, where did you learn to, uh, I guess, jazz? You were, you were playing jazz or that, well, was, that was the idea of the band kind of like, what were you listening to? I mean, listen,
1: I, I went to jazz band once they needed a bass player uh there was a there's another guy my age eric shore who i think he's he's a professional sax player now great sax player and eric was the bass player in town then and uh, he blew me out of the water he could read you know he could sight read you know bass music at that point so i was just i don't want to do this so I, i wasn't i wasn't the traditional jazz kid i was jazz in a very art blakey kind of way you know art blakey is known for putting feeling and emotion into his music and that's what I tried to do with the little understanding I had coming from piano of like major and minor scales and pent- pent- pentatonic uh you know and kind of scooching around the circle of fits and all that sort of thing so um it was jazz in that way as far as what I was listening to it was like all punk rock all the time um when I was uh 10 I went to my first punk rock show which was uh Goaty Hook, which was like one of the big Christian pop punk bands of the time. Uh, I think Hangnail played, which was a a more local band, but they had a little regional thing going on. And then a very local band that was hot here in Kenosha through that time was called Hired Geeks. Uh, They were there, too. Um, And so from that show on, you know, it was like I was hooked on that stuff, man, just to be like that close and in that environment with all this music and all these people and this was before social media. So it was really, it was just a sight to behold. So I would go to shows once, twice, three times a week plus. And uh, it was it was so good. As far as like more mainstream stuff that everyone would know that I listened to, that older guy I was in a band with, Dave, you know, exposed me to minor threat and bad brains. And then on the other side of the spectrum, same age, I'm 12, 13 years old. He's like, hey, listen to the Jesus Lizard listen to shellac and um it was just so i'm still like just so thankful for that opportunity you know at at 13 i had a an eighth grade math teacher who really took me under his wing and let me come into his room every morning he had a guitar and a guitar amp and he would let me play this like music math game on his little mac computer and we would talk about music too so now I have the punk, I have the like noise rock thing going on and then ska, because obviously ska was hot in 2001, 2003 yeah. when I was a kid. But then now this eighth grade math teacher was like, hey, man, you know, what about the poppier side of punk? What about the clash? What about indie? You know, have you listened to Bell and Sebastian? Uh, have you listened to uh, Rilo Kylie? You know, some of these these other things. And so now by 13 years old, I had amassed such a wide array of music listening because I had these really these older brother figures in life. So it was, uh, you know, I'm still just like, just so thankful for those opportunities, but yeah, that's what it was, man. It was just the biggest smorgasbord of music you can imagine. That's what I was listening to.
0: (laughs) And you seem to remember it all, which is it it all like, kind of goes into you. It seems like you have like a, a musical repertoire that, um, you can always like, kind of harken back to and, and really put into a situation. So with the improvisation that you were doing, it, you still are. I think that, and I, I'm taking that away from kind of your, your style is, is just to keep on improvising. Because you have to lay stuff down all the time. So being able to do that.
1: And, awesome. and I th- you're, you're 100% right on that, like, you know, understanding and remembering all of this music. That's my knowledge base for playing. So, like, if I get to a session and the music sounds like Rilo Kylie, you know, sort of alt country, indie, quiet, I know what drums I'm going to use, I know what cymbals I'm going to use, I know how I'm going to hit those drums and cymbals, I know how I'm going to mic those drums and cymbals. Or if a producer says, hey, man, I had a producer from uh, Warner Canada reach out, and, and he was like, hey, I really loved what you were doing on those uh 90s covers. I was really hot doing a ton of 90s covers earlier this year cuz that's like bread and butter for me, 90s alt, which was the stuff my my dad listened to a lot during that time. 90s alt music and I and uh he was like I love what you were doing there. Can you do that on this song and you know kind of do do your thing and and whatever you feel is right. So, I had that in mind, this 90s thing and I heard the song and uh, it was super like it needed like a Travis Barker type of big rock thing, but like very explosive fills in a few spots so it's like again understanding that wide array of music i can bridge third eye blind blink 182 and modern pop music all into one little thing and and what came out with uh you know what came out with they were really they were really happy you know both the artist and the producer so that's that's the power in just listening to and taking a, a critical eye to a bunch of different music
0: yeah absolutely were your parents kind of instrumental in, in getting you into music
1: my uh my the cool thing is that both my parents my, my dad's a heavy listener loved music had a giant cassette collection when i was a kid uh you know he was the dude who he had the most uh, ridiculous tape player i've ever seen that would know where the blank space was between songs. So if you wanted to skip a song, it had a skip button on the tape player. I've never seen that before or after my dad's tape player. Uh, my mom loved a lot of music and my grandma, too. So like my grandma, my mom's mom, had a room in her house, which was just a couple blocks north of my mom's place. Uh, and And the room was literally... the closet was full of records all around you was just full of records and then there was a couch with a record player and two giant speakers and you know right there and so i would just dig through this and you know my mom had blues a lot of blues um dad had a lot of americana and then he would branch out like anything from radiohead to wilco to uh green day to then he got into, he really got into rap. So like Eminem and like Flo Rida. Um, and then, you know, I'd go to grandma's and it would be like classical music. And then like, here's just a random, you know, Led Zeppelin three hanging around. Oh, here's, here's uh, you know, Diamond Dogs, the David Bowie record. And, you know, so it was, again, from the, from the get go was always eclectic
0: and always deep, you know? Yeah. wow, well, I, I did. Uh, my grandma definitely didn't listen to um, Led Zeppelin.
1: That's pretty cool. <laughs> there was one time, she, you know, I don't even, because she would just buy bulk or we would buy bulk records for her. So these would just wind up in her room. But she was, she was always such a sweetheart. I, I miss her dearly. But, you know, grandma, uh, there was one time she was driving me to school and I pulled out um, a newer Rancid record when I was a kid, um, Indestructible. I think it was Indestructible. And, uh, I played like a softer kind of ska based, uh, song and she was like, oh, I really like this. So it's like, you know, in the same way that grandma kept such an open ear to music, I tried, I think, uh, not consciously, but I definitely tried to keep that same sort of open ear through my childhood and even into today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Did you, did you ever tour? Did you have aspirations of it? What was kind of the band thing going through high school?
1: So the band thing for me was really heavy in high school. That was probably its heaviest uh, in my life. Um, and, you know, in high school by sophomore, end of sophomore year, I kind of gamed the system in such a way that I could get out of school by one o'clock most days, one thirty. And so I was able to get out early. I could go home. My, most of my bandmates worked odd jobs uh, and were usually older than me. So they'd come over to the house. We would practice for a couple hours and we would try to gig, you know, at least a couple times a week. But what was interesting is I never got the opportunity to tour. Um, got an ultimatum. Basically, it was like go to college or my, my parents sat me down and said, basically, you got to go to college. And uh, it was uh, presented in such a way that there was no other option. So I went to college begrudgingly um, and never toured. Uh, I have a a degree in English uh, focusing on like business writing. So like copywriting, technical writing, technical editing, all that sort of stuff. And um, I put that to use for five and a half years after college. And as far as touring goes, I, I quit my corporate job early 2019 And I drove around the country living out of the back of my car for like four and a half months, uh, drove straight South down to Oklahoma, uh, drove from route 66, uh, all the way out West to, uh, just, uh, near LA and Temecula did NAM. And then I meandered all the way North to Portland. I stayed in Portland for like two and a half of those months and just crashing on couches and sleeping in the back of the car. And then uh, drove the north side of the state's home. So, you know, even though I didn't tour with a band, when I tell that story to my friends who do tour full time, you know, they'll tell me, you know, that's literally the best way to tour because you can stop when you want to stop. You can stop where you want to stop. You never have to move any gear. And, and it's, it's just there's all the freedom that yeah. you want out of touring, but that you can't necessarily get out of touring.
0: Yeah, that's that was kind of the idea with this podcast. I eventually, well, gonna be taking it on the road, going to New York. Um, I just didn't want to bring a drum set around. I want to go to studios and you know, do the podcast and record whatever drums they have and just have a good time doing it. It's that's idea. awesome, man.
1: How old are you now? Twenty-seven. Yeah,
0: I mean I was I was twenty-nine
1: when I did it, and I'm so thankful for that opportunity and for that time in my life. And um it's, it's something that if you can, if you can afford to do it, I, I recommend it wholeheartedly because it'll change your entire perspective on life. And, uh, you'll never forget those, those wonderful moments
0: that you're going to find out there. Yeah, absolutely. Were you with your partner at the, around that time?
1: No, no, I was just, just me and a bunch of crap in my little Honda Fit.
0: <laughs> Makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. do you, do you have any endorsements? This is a precursor to my next, next question. Oh,
1: okay. So, <clears throat> do I have any endorsements? Uh the quick answer is no. So, what I cultivate and I talk about this with clients and and students all the time is cuz even even drum students with me are like, "How do I get an endorsement? I want free cymbals. I want free drums." And it's like, you know, most of these freaking artists don't even get free cymbals or free drums. Yeah. And and so, you know, I don't, I don't see the value in having a formal endorsement other than, Hey, look, I, this is a thing I did on paper. For me, it's about having relationships. So, you know, uh, even though I don't have a formal endorsement, I'm in a position where I can afford drumsticks again. And if my symbol cracks now, I don't have to worry about having to work with a retailer to try to get that. Symbol replaced Mm -hmm. i can say i can say to the guys at zildjian hey you know i have i need to do a symbol swap for a warranty exchange here can you help me out and they're more than willing to help me out so that's why these relationships are valuable um it makes it easier to get the gear you want especially if you're a working musician because this stuff is only getting more expensive and uh the benefit of not formally signing with anyone is technically you're a free agent. Yeah. So if I, if I want to play Zildjian, I can play Zildjian. And if uh, Joe Schmo symbols sends me a set of symbols, I can say, all right, Joe, I'll try your Schmo symbols. And, uh, and no, nothing, you know, there's no, no one's getting hurt, which is, which is nice. I like, I love gear. I've always been a gear head. I worked in music retail, used, used in vintage. in uh music retail for over five years still work with the company today uh, on a freelance basis and um you know that's it's just uh I don't know man gear is super super fun because especially with drums because uh, you really can't manipulate a- you know like with a guitar, you can manipulate the sound via uh you know pedals and amps and whatever yeah. but drums, man, you have to get it right from the sound source. So you mm-hmm. have to seek out those sounds and make sure you get them right first before you start doing anything else. So
0: that's where that love love came for me. And you yeah. work with just so many different types of drums and cymbals all the time. It seems, like, it seems like you do use Zildjian a lot. So it's great that you have relationships with them. And I think I've never really heard anybody articulate it in that way that it makes sense just to, you know, talk to them. And if you're using so much different gear, you can probably give them awesome feedback. If you're not just like, but, yeah. I, I want to play this.
1: Yeah, you can have a conversation, you know, and um, you know, I've had conversations with folks at these companies about these things, because, again, that's something I love to do is talk about the intricacies of what is different to, between, you know, product one, two, three and four and what makes something better or worse? What makes something, uh, you know, more uh, versatile than not uh, of four very similar products? Like if you wanted to compare just as an example, you know, like, uh uh, Zildjian K. Constantinople to Istanbul Aga 30th Anniversary to uh, Symbol and Gong Holy Grail to Sabian Artisan and Minal Foundry Reserve. Like there's five lines that are essentially doing a very similar thing, but they're all very different symbols. Yeah. And, and attract very different audiences. You know, it's, it's, I know it probably sounds super nerdy and I probably just lost about half your audience that aren't drummers, but it's just to say that because the cymbals and the drums are such a part of my musical voice, it's those itty bitty intricacies that make the difference between a product that sings
0: under my hands or that doesn't. Yeah. Especially for the song or whatever you're doing. Yeah. Um, All right. Lightning round. I going to ask you about a bunch of, a bunch of uh, companies related to drums, and you can describe them in a word, maybe a food. Um, okay, let me know if you're ready to go. Good to go. All right, let's do it. Gretch.
1: Gretch. When I think Gretch, I think buttery, I think jazzy, and I always think about Silver Sealer because I still don't understand what the heck the purpose of Silver Sealer is.
0: Dude, I can ask you so many questions. I, this this interview could turn into five hours. I just okay. Anyway, let's let's keep going. Uh, Tama,
1: Tama, uh, the OG Japanese drums, um, and some of the coolest modern drums that are being built today that still uh, innovate in ways that always inspire me. Right. Zildjian, Zildjian, the classics. The people who literally invented crashes, rides, and hi hats, and they're still innovating today. And you know they're the big player. They've always been the big player because they literally invented this stuff 400 years ago. Um, but you know they they continue to evolve as a crew and as a brand. And uh, it's, I'm gonna, I'm really excited to see what happens with that company over the next five years.
0: Ooh, little maybe a little insider info right there.
1: Ooh, uh, Ludwig. <laughs> ludwig another classic brand chicago home, home their their home was chicago we had ludwig we had slingerland we had camco and just over the state border in indiana we had uh Leedy. this yeah. is the home of drums you know that's why the chicago drum show is such a big deal it's because they were all here ludwig is the brand i connect with most because my uncle played ludwig my grandparents bought mm. him a 60s Ludwig when he started playing, and as he started gigging out and making a heck of a lot of money doing the weekend warrior thing in the 70s and 80s, he saved up enough money to buy, at that point, a brand new Ludwig, an Octoplus, with you know, nine toms and two bass drums and the whole thing. So that family history really solidifies it for me. And I, my first vintage kit that I purchased was a Ludwig and my little green kit that you see in most of my Instagram videos, <laughs> that's a Ludwig that I customized the heck out of. And it's my favorite set of drums and I don't think I'll ever sell them.
0: Yeah. I, I have a bunch of questions coming up about that. drumio. Uh,
1: drumio. Um, Jared is very kind. Mm-hmm. He's been very kind to me. And uh, I appreciate that they can build a brand That is the face of modern drum education, but that they also leave room for everybody in the middle and at the bottom to continue teaching uh, just as effectively and uh, uh, just as to to make it just as financially a rewarding situation for everybody in the game, still.
0: Uh, Remo. Remo.
1: Right there with Zildjian and Ludwig, right? The classics. And What I love about Remo is that again, it's a company that continues to innovate, and they still make oddball products that I love. White suede emperors—you probably never heard of those. That's what I use on my toms all the time.
0: And then DW, DW,
1: DW is the company that didn't hire me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I had to get one of those in.
1: You had to get one of those in. I, I, uh, I admire that Don Lombardi has built what he's built. I still love the hardware and use the hardware. I use a 6,000 pedal. I use 6,000 ultralight symbol uh, stands, and I use plenty of other little gizmos and gadgets and doodads that they make or that their subsidiaries make. Um, I also appreciate that after they bought Gretsch, the Gretsch sound did, did not change. A lot of people feared that that sound was gonna change, once DW took hold of that company and the manufacturing process. So I have hope that now that Don's son acquired the Slingerland brand for his father, that Don, who, uh, to my knowledge, is a very big Slingerland enthusiast. I mean, look at the DW Classic series, especially in the way that they uh, orient those uh, uh, re-rings. They have a very Slingerland Radio King style re-ring in those shells. So now that Don owns Slingerland, I, I have a lot of hope, a lot of faith that he is going to bring that brand back because that's another brand that's just so close to my heart because it was a Chicago company.
0: Yeah. Rogers.
1: Rogers. A lot of people don't know this. And this is going to kind of sideways. A, I love Rogers, but B, Rogers speaks to the quality of Keller, Keller drum shells. So if you're a custom drum company, whether you're little or big or whatever, most people just go through Keller to buy their drum shells. Keller had a really bad name in the mid-2000s because there were 100 or 200 freaking builders in their mom's basement building drums, and they said, well, I'm using Keller shells, so these are really good because that's what like Orange County drums and percussion used. But they, they basically tarnished the whole name of Keller. Despite that, believe it or not, Keller... Was the company that was manufacturing Rogers shells mm. uh, during during the prime of that company? So listen, if Keller can make some of the best vintage drum shells ever made in the history of life, then I think they make a pretty good drum shell even um, today. Camco, Camco, Camco is one of those companies I've tried to understand forever. The turret lug is the most attractive uh, lug I've ever seen—a circle on a circle—and they're. Uh, T-Rods are gorgeous. Like whoever designed all that hardware just knew what they were doing. The spurs, the floor tom brackets and the legs especially, um, the throws, everything about their hardware, amazing. What I don't like about Camco is I've had two sets. I had an Oaklawn, Illinois manufactured set and then a Chanute, Kansas set. Both of them, their toms are oversized, kind of like Gretsch, an old Gretsch. So it can be tough to get the drum heads on there unless you're using something a little oversized like an Evans head or a a Remo Classic fit. That always turned me off from those shells as a younger player. Now I just posted a video with a a little 2012-14 Oaklawn Camco that I I made that video, uh, gosh, four or five plus years ago now. And I was listening to it and I was like, man, those drums sound really good. And I wonder what Tim's hands and ears could do now at 32 year old or 32 years old with those drums versus what I could do with them in my twenties. Cause my ear has changed a heck of a lot in that time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so last two Mapex. Mapex. I, I will tell you a story. There was one time I was with, uh, a a very prominent person in the drum industry and they said what is the first word people think of when uh when they hear mapex and uh i said i don't know what and they said cheap and that's unfortunately the story for them but you know i love what they're trying to do as far as innovation with you know like partnering with like uh, what, like Russ Miller and uh, uh, Randall Mays to do those like crazy Tom mounts that are, I don't I think they're like a thousand dollars for a Tom mount. Like, they're really trying to innovate and do some high end stuff. I've owned one of my favorite kits when I was growing up, was I had this transparent orange lacquer, uh, it must have been an early 2000s or maybe even late 90s Mars Mapex kit, uh, and it was just like poplar shells 20. 10 12 14 i loved those drums so i tried when when they did a rebrand for uh a revamp rather for the the saturn line um this would have been late two no early early 2010s late 2000s one of the two right around there um they did a walnut uh birch or was it walnut maple whatever the shell was it was walnut and something else And uh these beautiful finishes. I had a black to silver uh and with a blue in there, uh fade lacquer finish, and the price point was awesome. Like used retail was I think nine hundred dollars for a 22, 10, 12, 14, 16, and a five and a half by 14 snare. Um, were they inexpensive? Ooh, excuse me. Yeah, they were inexpensive, they, but I prefer using the word economical because what it does is it gets a drum into the hands of a drummer at a, a much lower price than they might pay for some other brand um, that's going to sound good and be gigable. Um, so, yeah, I, I even though they're cheap, uh, as far as price goes, I don't think quality suffers, especially now uh for that price point so decent little drums that's a long-winded freaking answer for a lightning round but there you go uh
0: yeah and i definitely agree with that um that people may think that about Apex. all right last last question this this one is dear to my heart because i had a studio right across from him um sugar percussion okay jeff first
1: listen i'm gonna i'm gonna preface this by saying. Jefferson gave me two drums under the premise that I only talk trash about him and his product. I hate those drums. They're so bad. It's such garbage. Nah, but seriously, Jefferson has been such a sweetheart. And he did tell me I could only talk trash about him and those drums if he gave me the drums. But I, I love those snare drums. Um, you know, uh, My favorite one that I have is the 14 by 6 cedar um it has been one of the most i i don't like wood drums i i typically only use metal drums snare, so to drums. Have, snare drums correct now if i could afford it i'd just have cue drums and then everything be metal that's, no, that's but, what i have yeah and i, I <laughs> that's why i don't have any other kit <laughs> there you go no but i uh you know as far as snare drums are concerned metal just works for me so i have an array of all the all the classic ludwig stuff uh but as far as wood drums go Uh, I think the combination of, uh, him getting Jefferson, getting a slimmer stave with a nice round edge top and bottom, uh, just worked to create what has been, uh, a drum, a wood drum that sounds like no other sounds like, and and really to me, it's the quintessential wood drum sound that I've always been chasing for Mm -hmm. a long time. And now I, I finally have it in my arsenal. So I, man, great drums. Really good dude, too. Really good dude. <laughs> uh he's
0: just so meticulous. Oh my
1: God. Yeah. And I think that's what's so special about the drums, is you know, here's a furniture maker who has to have everything be so precise. And applying that level of craftsmanship now to a drum is part of, in my opinion, that's part of the secret sauce. That is why these drums sound so good. That's why, despite them being a stave drum they don't freaking fall apart like half the stave drums you see from folks who are building them out of their basements because <laughs> it's because of that fine eye and the extra time and all those years of
0: experience that goes into building those products. Yeah. He's, he's the good stave drum maker. Yeah. Um, so I started following you back in 2020 around the start of the pandemic. Uh, you were one of the only funny things that was happening at first. I had to stay off of social media cause you know, um, and I was gushing at your drum sound. How was it creating during that time? And what did you feel pressure to do so? Because I know you, you met a lot to people that weren't even, uh, necessarily drummers. It's, uh, well, I'm glad that you, you know, you got a smile out of this stuff.
1: And I think partly the reason why I created so much funny content back then is because it was such a dark time. I had been sick at that point for four years, and in March, I finally got a urologist to put me on testosterone replacement therapy, which immediately started healing my body, much more than, any of, than anything any of these other doctors did. That's so cool. And so that renewed my sense of vigor in life. And even though there were tough days, I mean, like I said, this is a 10-year recovery. So this this is not a walk in the park. I was able to foster a better, find find a better mindset during that time, which helped me uh, produce more and produce more uh, comical content. And, you know, the other part that really kept me going is early 2020, is when I released my uh, uh, Tears for Fears challenge video. And, you know, where everybody was doing, you know, over that, uh, everybody wants to rule the world song. People were playing like a halftime groove over essentially making this classic song sound like something different. However, everyone did the same thing, which negated this different sound. It just, it was stupid in my opinion. Yeah. There was only, there's only a few people I really loved watching that Madden class being one of them. She's, great drummer if you never heard of her mad in class with a k whoo that gal plays that gal plays and uh so anyways i released a funny version of that where i'm like blast beating over this tears for fears song and screaming the lyrics at the end and uh that video got half a million views and netted me an additional uh almost five thousand followers in two weeks and I'll tell you, that was like the first time I really went viral. So for that to happen, whoo, that fueled, man, that fueled my content creation for the next six months. Yeah. I've more, and in, in from, you know, in the last year, I've more than uh, doubled my, uh, what do they call that? Following. I don't even, I'm so tired. What do they call the following? But I've more than doubled my <laughs> following. So I'm at, i met over 30,000 people who watch my stupid little videos now. It's Ridiculous. If that's not, listen, if that's not a reason to keep making content, I don't know what is. And
0: so you were pretty outspoken about your, your thoughts on police brutality, the world, mental health, you know, sickness. Um, what, what were a couple, I mean, you just kind of explained how, you know, you were helping people out. What are some things that you can do that you, you kind of recommend to just stay creative kind of get through these rough patches? What, cause I, I get, I get pretty bogged down, especially with social media and I know a lot of other people do as well. So what are some things that you do just to keep putting, keep putting yourself out there in the best, in the best light and staying creative?
1: Uh, generally, I always recommend like, if you need a break, break from the news and you're fortunate enough to turn it off, turn it off. Um, you know, I want to try to stay informed about what's going on, especially being from Kenosha, a place where, uh, we had cops, uh, shoot a black man, you know, 11, more than a dozen, I think over 10 times in the back. Um, and we also then had subsequent, uh, riots where, um, things got so bad that my ma went out to work one morning shortly it was during the riots and um she called me out to the front patio and she said tim you got to come out here and you could smell the town burning and going through something like that i think uh changes your perspective on how you get through difficult moments uh Especially coupled with, uh, you know, what trauma I've been through in my life, uh, including this illness, uh, which is constantly a source of trauma. So it's, it's not to say that this is a, a you know, foolproof sort of thing. There's always going to be moments where you're going to be soft. There's always going to be moments where you're going to cry. I just had a good cry this morning. You know, this is That's great. Yeah. You, you have to, you know, you have to. You have to let it out because if you let it, if you don't let it out, you're going to bottle it up. But to get past that, you know, stop reading the news. If you are privileged enough to be able to live without reading the news every day, uh, find ways to foster meditative practices, whether it's sitting down and formally meditating every day or going for a five minute walk, uh, going for an hour long walk and listening to a podcast and you're a walker. uh, Right? <laughs> I I used to be a lot, yeah. you racked was, up some uh, some miles. Almost 2000 miles last year last Whoa. Year, I think. Yeah. Um you know, but uh you know, those are some some ways to do it and um as far as staying creative, I always talk about this metaphor uh, that I think about uh the dichotomy of uh, creation and consumption. And think of it like a gas tank. And think of your product as creative output and think of your gas as consumption so when i create i love that i I, I usually do it in bursts so like when i'm making my instagram videos i'll try to hammer out five five six days of heavy filming you know two hours of filming a day and i'll try to produce somewhere between five to ten videos every day during that that sprint and after that time you know during that time i'm just like running that gas tank down and now we're you know hopefully at an eighth of tank and not empty by the time i'm done and i have to refill it to get back to full so i can do that again the next month (laughs) so the way i do that is through consumption um i get inspired by traditional media creative media art movies music Uh, comedy, you know, these sorts of things, but I also find, uh, consuming, uh, in other ways can be helpful too, uh, kind of, and it's like, uh, we think of pets as kind of consumer products sometimes I think. And, uh, for me, it's, it's not necessarily considered a creative art, but I have five. Running fish tanks right now, I think five, no, six, six running fish tanks right now, uh, only totaling like a hundred gallons total. Um, where uh, I'm breeding guppies and growing plants, doing aquascaping, they call it, and um, you know, always I'm constantly pruning, I'm constantly keeping the water good in these tanks, and uh you know, breeding, uh, responsibly trying to produce. I have guppies that are uh, well-respected in uh, the little guppy community over here, which is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, it's something I, I don't necessarily share a lot about that in public. Uh, and I'm, and that's, I don't put it on social media because it's, it's, that's the thing for me and my partner yeah. and my close friends, you know, who might come over and I'll be like, hey, you want to see my fish? Uh, but Joe Schmoe isn't going to see my fish. So, you know, in that are you know, in this thing, fish keeping, that might not be considered a creative act, um, it still is an act that is filling that tank, filling that consumption tank, so that the next time I hit the drum set, I can use the fuel of cleaning up, Fish poop, or whatever, to help me create something cool on the drum set that I can share with folks on the internet.
0: That that meditative thing to do. Uh, I think uh, almost every major drummer is um, somehow a Buddhist or a meditator, or they they like to sit in ice baths. Uh, you got yeah. You got to talk to uh, as far as meditation
1: and uh, I don't know anything. You know, like that kind of realm. You got to talk to Greg Fox. That's the dude. Uh, he's a New York cat. And then uh, Ice Bath, uh, Matt from uh, Periphery. Yep, yep. That's Mr. Ice Bath. I took right. a lesson with that dude once. He's super nice, man. But Ice Baths every day, I, man, that's that's a little too much for me. I think I'd die if I
0: did that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I just love it. He, uh, just sitting, seeing him in a barrel. I feel like I see more of his Ice Bath <laughs> stuff than I do his drumming now. Yeah, uh, yeah. When I went to Musicians Institute, he did a, a couple clinics there. They, they were there all the time. Those guys are insane. Um, I, I love watching him. And um, good dudes, too, that whole band. Yeah, they're, and they're very they're business-minded in, in a great way, like you know, putting out the samples and all these effects and all these great things. Yeah, they um, know what they're doing. So you answered quite a few questions I was gonna ask about the filming. Um, so yeah, you seem to batch stuff out, which is a uh, you know in a business sense of just a great idea. You know, just run that, get in that mind zone. And I would imagine some of your uh, content gets a little bit crazier and a little bit more fun near the end of it. Like you just maybe starting to you know. I usually,
1: I usually do it different uh, sessions. Like the funny stuff, I have to be in the mood for, and I hadn't been in that mood for a long time until recently. So I did one 15 minute session where i cranked out all my halloween videos for this year um but uh, well i mean and halloween's a little tougher because i have to have like two giant bins of costumes in front of the drum kit so i can just like i'm gonna change and then do some more but yeah the drum stuff like i feel like i also have to be in a separate headspace so it's like when i'm playing drums i don't want to you know i'm not in the mood to you know do some crazy kooky stuff or whatever.
0: Um how do you how do you get loose performing i guess maybe just staying in or do, doing some of those uh things but it i find it hard i feel like i just have a resting uh i guess resting drumming face where i'm just like thinking uh how did you when did you get into filming how did, how do you kind of overcome that stuff and uh yeah any and all thoughts i mean
1: i started filming for instagram primarily i i'd always made little videos and stuff and like throw them on youtube or whatever but it really started popping when i was doing instagram uh as far as like getting better uh as far like visually like in an, an aesthetic sense uh that started to come after i would see videos where i'm just like you know and i have like yeah. some really the the goofy i don't know ogre face on when you're trying to play drums that don't that don't translate real well no so um it still happens. I just watched a video with uh, Greg Morrow. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, he's a session dude out in Memphis, and I was watching him like groove and man, this guy's got he's he's got a pocket like no other. but you know, even at at his age, he's been playing for a long time, and uh, you know, I'll still see him like, you know he's got a good face on, but then I'll see him like blink with his snare drum, and I'm like, all right, if he can still blink when he hits the snare drum, I can still have my my mouth hanging open half the time, too. I don't have to feel so bad about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I remember just in high school, I was getting like, oh, yeah, quite the drummer face and just being like, well, whatever it was. And then at some point I was like, OK, I'm just going to not do a face. And then I was like, what? just took all the fun out of it. The drummer face is almost part of the acts, you know, it, it used to be for me. You know, if you go back to my videos from
1: 2015 or 2016, that was half the act is. You know, the first thing I did instead of just, you know, running around with my jaw open playing was I would intentionally just have my tongue out or be doing goofy faces. um, uh, Really kind of in the spirit of like Rick Nielsen. And and then, you know, after that, uh, it was like, OK, let's be a little less kooky all the time. And that's when I started to just kind of try to
0: find, <laughs> I guess just a look that was a little softer you know a little easier to swallow let's get into uh, what might be a controversial topic, topic. what don't... do you think happened to the drum troll account what happened? Uh... i'll
1: tell you what i listen i have spoken on things that i probably shouldn't speak on today and i know a lot about <laughs> the drum troll stuff
0: oh tell me come on
1: you're not gonna get it in public baby but i'm ah. gonna lay i'm gonna lay one rumor to rest okay and that rumor that had gone on for so long is that I was the freaking drum troll. I wasn't the, I was, I'll tell you what, me and my friends got real sick of the content. The drum troll was making. We made a second drum troll page where I don't remember what we called it. Like the drum troll official. I think we called it something yeah. stupid. The page isn't there anymore, but there are some video edits I made. Like uh, I posted one about six months ago where, I took a video of Carter McLean uh, teaching a lesson. Yeah, and then when I love he, that. W- so when yeah. he goes to play the drum set, I mute his audio, and I played keyboard drums with like Logic, <laughs> and just made it terrible. It was so funny. But the the good thing to come out of me trying to do my own troll thing with some friends is that I went when I went to Nam in nineteen. Uh, Carter was hanging out with uh, me and Scott at the tackle instrument booth and i went up to carter's ear and i said hey and you remember that video where uh you know somebody did the thing where they put these fake drums over your teaching lesson or whatever and he's like yeah and i was like that was me and then, <laughs> and
0: he's he's been nice to me ever since so he got a kick out of that seems like a really sweet dude in general i watch a lot of his instagram live stuff very so, nice guy very good dude and he seems like he has a sense of humor he always seems so serious and then he'll throw out something where i'm like okay this guy this guy has a sense of humor he's not just like the most polished drummer i've ever seen Nah, uh, yeah yeah he, he,
1: he that's the thing about instagram drumming right is i think so many of these drummers uh they uh, they take it too seriously so it's nice to see someone who is a veteran professional you know put on a goofy mask or make a generally goofy video once in a while i appreciate it i I really appreciate that about carter for sure
0: well it's it's good to know that there is some controversy behind the scenes for the drum troll account i think the drumming community is just so small so when you start shitting on some of the biggest creators out there they're gonna get a little mad they're like dude you're you're blowing up my thing and whatnot um that's my humble opinion
1: I think I, th- in my humble opinion, I think we got to laugh, you know, I think, Oh my God. Yeah. You know? And so this is, it, it is such a very, it's a tight knit community drummers yes. are a tight, tight knit community. And so in my opinion, I think that, you know, if there's uh if there's a jerk in the weeds, well, we better call it out. If there's homophobia or transphobia, and this is a platform to call that out, I think we should call that out and if someone's you know uh sphincter's a bit tight i think we better you know lo- loosen it with a good meme once in a while too so i you know that was the one thing i i really treasure about uh the drum troll is that you know they really they really kept us kept us laughing and i think kept the community uh in the loop with with real happenings you know that really had some some value in informing
0: uh purchasing decisions or uh
1: you know anything else.
0: Yeah, it felt like the closest I ever got with a bunch of other drummers it was just like, dude, did you just see that thing? Like I I kinda always thought that, but it, it was whoever was making that stuff up was uh genius. Amazing. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh let's let's go into the not that we have it, let's go into some real nerdy drumming stuff. Uh how deep do you go on in identifying drums? You get you get down to the lugs. It seems like you get you know I mean, you know, I guess probably the best thing to talk about is
1: just like the way that I built out that little green Ludwig.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, so you took the rubber gaskets off. What did they do to you?
1: You know, I mean, for me, it's just like rubber gaskets uh, are, they can be helpful for some drums. Like if you have a, a set of tube lugs on a drum, uh, well, you're going to need those gaskets on there. Cause that's spaced appropriately so that the tension rod lines up vertically with that lug but if you know with these cast lugs like uh you know with a with a a receiver and i'm like the ludwig small classics or large classics there's some play so you don't really have to worry about that as much and so taking them off of the toms let me open up the sound of those toms whatever it is say five percent and i left them on the kick to dampen that drum the five percent or whatever yeah it's a it's a very minute difference but when you factor in you know like i talk about this all the time like taking off the i'll talk about the toms because that's what the most work was done on those toms you take take the gaskets off you increase the resonance by five percent uh or change the, we'll just say change you change the sound by five percent modify the bearing edge change the sound by another ten percent change the hoops you change the sound by another 10%. Change the heads, you change that sound by another 20%. You're almost up to, you know, you're up to a significant change in sound now, uh, which in my case, yielded exactly the sound that I was looking for uh, out of those drums.
0: So who, who got you into recording? Was it just a, a need to kind of put, put it out there and just like kind of learn more about the drums? Man, um, so when I was a kid,
1: my first time in a recording studio was with my that francophone band, my first band when I was 13 years old. And it was just such a surreal experience to go into this place that had three live rooms. And they had, uh, you know, like at that time, like I think a $20,000 board and a nice Mac with a giant set of monitors. And it was just like, this is insane. A tape machine. And, um, you know, it was just this really mystical thing. You know, from there, I bought a little four track set recorder and I was recording my band. I was recording. uh, I recorded a friend's band at one point and I didn't know what I was doing. You know, like for my friend's band, we recorded, we put we put one mic in front of the drum set. We plugged the guitar through a a DS1 distortion pedal straight into the recorder. And then we plugged the bass right into the recorder and we plugged a mic for the vocalist in the recorder. And we had them record live all the same time. And it sounded like trash, full trash, dude. It was so bad. And uh, But, you know, you learn. So, like, from there, uh buddy of mine, uh, Andrew, uh, I think I we would have been, I don't know, 14 at the time, 15. Uh, we built out a recording studio in Andrew's basement. Uh, the guy who built uh, Andrew's deck and actually the deck that used to be behind my ma's place. He uh, he was a family friend of Andrew's and, and Andrew was like, hey, I'd like to do this. Like, how do we do this? And he's like, oh, I have a double paned window just hanging around. Let me help you guys build a wall. And we put the window in and we put a pipe so that we could, you know, snake our cables back into the uh, control room. It was it was a production, man. And and we got some really interesting tones. You know, he had Andrew had all sorts of microphones. He built a, uh, a sub kick out of a 15 inch speaker that he put on two by fours and just reverse wired it surprisingly it sounded awesome and uh it's a big one that's a a real big one way too big (laughs) but it it did a thing which was cool so like you know there's uh there was that so there was always an interest there and then you know really with the advent of instagram that's when i really got into recording and tried to figure it out and i had a band member who was kind enough to really show me a lot of things i I know today. And then
0: other than that, it was, uh, you know, just YouTube learning. Do you have any tricks for recording to Instagram, like getting that sound that might appear better on a phone, as opposed to something you're recording for 21st uh, century. I bet there's probably a little
1: difference. 100%. 100%. I always mix for an iPhone speaker because that's where most of these people are going to be listening to that audio. Mm -hmm. on. So to do that, I'm generally emphasizing more punch in the kick kick than i generally would otherwise um i have to be uh mindful of general like loudness level so uh i used to crank the heck out of a limiter uh on the tail end on my mix bus so that it would be like the music and the drums would be super loud going out kind of like loudness wars kind of thing like just the louder the music the better it's going (laughs) to perform yeah. Uh now now I'm a little I'm, a, I'm I'm much more conservative with that because I use one set of files to post to all sorts of different uh social media sites so now I don't have to feel uh you know any type of way about posting it to YouTube where someone might generally listen with headphones I don't have to feel weird about uh trying to post that on TikTok where they have a limiter that they throw on at the end that makes everything way too loud so, like you know, there's, it's you kind of learn and evolve with uh, based on uh, how these platforms treat your audio and generally what platforms you decide to use.
0: So you there's so many minute details to putting something on social media, and it's it's almost imperative now that you do that. Um, in in my opinion, and every time I post something on Instagram, what as small as it can be, I get hit up by somebody for lessons or. Like, hey you want to be in my band or you want to do this recording session so it's got to be there you know like i'm 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 sure you you definitely feel the same way you you see the value in it i just talked to um
1: i don't remember if it was a friend or a, a student or a client or something. i talked to somebody the other day and I, I remember them saying like how do i uh you know what, what am i supposed to do with this instagram thing what does it really mean for me as a player and 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 the way i respond to those kind of inquiries is like people in bunny carlos outfits who wear a suit and a tie five days a week are the kind of folks who you know working a 9 to 5 you can use linkedin as your resume and you can list out all your bullets of everything you've done and i still use that as a tool sure but what i also do is post my videos on instagram so that as a performer Uh, People can view those videos right away and understand, oh, okay, so this person has skills in drumming and, you know, whatever, certain types of drumming and recording drums and social media or whatever the heck I'm talking about. And so Instagram, for me, is the LinkedIn for professional musicians. Absolutely. Yeah, my
0: LinkedIn sucks. Uh <laughs> um all right, let's uh let's uh shout out some people. Drummers, musicians, family, whoever, whoever you want.
1: I'm gonna shout out my moms, my dads, I'm gonna shout out grandma, grandpa, I'm gonna shout out Amy and Sean, my siblings, I'm gonna shout out Cam, my wonderful partner. I'm gonna shout out to all my homies, I'm a shout out to uh I'm gonna shout out who am I gonna shout out? ODB, A son. The one uh, I'm a shout out uh, the Eskimos, the Air Force, the Marines. That's an ODB thing, uh, but uh, you know I uh, no. I mean honestly, I think the biggest shout outs here should should really be just to uh, you know my loved ones, um, uh, chosen or blood who have been supporting me through what has been a really tough last five years um and to whoever the folks are out there who continue to watch like and comment on my uh you know my videos and who support me through you know purchasing lessons and drumless tracks and and who send me encouraging messages and uh text because i wouldn't be here i wouldn't be doing what i'm doing today if it wasn't for all the love and support i received from all those folks
0: is there any advice that Grandma Timbo would like to offer to anybody listening? Anything you heard from her recently? All right, listen. If you eat one
1: you eat one candy and you only eat that candy on Halloween. That's the
0: only rule for Grandma Timbo. Amazing. Well, Tim, this has been this has been super, super fun. And yeah, I can't wait to see more from you and uh you know, best of luck with everything that you're doing and, and your health and recovery and uh you know, living the life. Living the Dude, life. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yeah, you know, if anybody wants
1: to see any of the ridiculous stuff that uh, we've been talking about today, I'm Timbo from Kino on uh, Instagram or TimBaltes, B-A-L-T-E-S dot com. Uh, Thank you so much for having me on the pod. And uh, I hope people learned something today, can take something away, had a laugh. And and if anything, just know, uh, in my opinion, not Grandma Timbo's opinion, you eat as many freaking candies as you want on <laughs> Halloween.
0: All right. All right. If you enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron on patreon.com early access to episodes, bonus interviews, and much more head to patreon.com slash breaking north. That's patreon.com slash breaking north. Would you like to see more stories of artists, creators, and characters that we love? Sign up for the breaking north newsletter. If you sign up, click the link in the show notes. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a review if you like the show. Have thoughts on the show? Send us an email at breakingnorthpodcast at gmail.com. For more, follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and of course, Patreon. Breaking North is produced by Michael Lieber and Zen Perry. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Zen Perry Project. Make sure to follow the Zen Perry Project on Instagram. Leave us a review for any of the episodes that you liked and consider sharing this with a friend that might be interested in this sort of show. We'll see you next time.